the egos in this particular series. And so we call it the alter ego. And no, that's not spelled wrong. Uh, the reason we spelled alter that way is because it's to remind us of the need for us to lay our ego down and give it up to God so that we might begin to experience his power in our life as opposed to always ending God's ownership, which takes place every time you exert your ego. You begin to end God's ownership in your life and you try to take it over and the result is inevitably uh, disastrous, disastrous. So today is the second in a four-part series. Last week we talked about the simple fact or the difficult fact that the only way we become adequate is as God enables us to become adequate, that he fills the hole in our middle, that he completes us, that our adequacy comes from his efficacy, that he has the ability to grant us an understanding and a sense of wholeness and freedom. But anytime we try to take it back, we'll find ourselves in a loss. We remind ourselves of a few simple things. We recognize that when God looks at us, he sees much more than we think he does. And we looked at Gideon and how we, again, a clearer picture of that. And then we also said that when God looks at us, he gives us more than we think he does. And last of all, we recognize it's far less about us than we think. It's far less about us than we think it is. So today we're going to talk about this issue of control. So if last week we talked about adequacy coming from his efficacy, today we're going to talk about how to deal with things that are outside of my jurisdiction. I want to say that with me, outside of my jurisdiction, because that's the primary term I want you to get in your mind. Here's the second one. It goes like this, Jehovah Jireh. Can you say that with me? Jehovah Jireh. And those are the two terms. If you get those two down, you'll be able to know the entire message we have for today. Jehovah Jireh simply means God will provide. He's the God who always provides. So we recognize there are things outside of our jurisdictions that we can do nothing about. Then we're able to allow God to do what God does instead of try desperately to bring it into our jurisdiction or get a hold of somebody else that will take care of it for us. God says, no, no, no. Allow me to be involved in this situation. How many of you in different areas you're like like to be in control? Well, we got 100%, I think. Okay. It's false control, but it's still control. So we find ourselves desiring to be in control on a regular basis. If you find yourself, by the way, sitting next to a person next to you and tried to raise their hand, you know I'm speaking to you today. So some of you actually kind of did one of these things. Go ahead, lift your... And I go, yeah, that, we struggle with this issue of control because we think if we keep control that we'll be able to bring about the end result that we desire to have. And oftentimes, we truly think that we know exactly what needs to be done for you. Okay? So it says, uh, God has a plan for your life, and I'm going to help you bring it about. That's kind of what comes into play. And some of us do just exactly that. I know exactly what you should do in this situation. I simply need to convince you that these are the steps that you need to take. Uh, Usually, in areas of control, we are involved in one area or another. Some of us are really involved in control at home, so we're very controlling at home. Some of us are very controlling at work. In most cases, it's one or the other. We're laid back at home or we're laid back at work, one or the other, and we try to control things on the other areas. So simply put, in some areas, we like to be in control, in others, we could care less. 
And my wife is a wonderful cook, as those of you who know they've eaten in my house. And she loves to be in control of the kitchen. Okay, the basic is words that come out of her mouth are something like this. Lee, get out of the kitchen. Those are the primary words I hear. And I say, but honey, don't give me any butts. Just get out of my kitchen. It's, one, it's like ownership going on. Periodically, she lets me barbecue. That's about it. And then she usually puts everything together beforehand, says, put it on the barbecue for two minutes. I'll set the timer. I go, aren't I in control here? No, you're not. Okay, that's the end of that. Now, the other thing about my wife, though, when it comes to major life areas, major life issues, so we're in the midst of selling a house and, you know, buying another one, all these kind of things, she's really laid back. It's like, oh, yeah, God's got it in hand, and we're just working, we pray together, talk together. Oh, Lee, you'll take care of it, you're doing good. I'm going, why is she showing up on the kitchen, but in these areas there are major things? She's like, oh, no, it's cool, it's cool, you got it. I'm like, oh, interesting. But the, the reality of life, there's some things that I like control at our house, too. For instance... I recognize that there is one area in the house that only one person has been divinely ordained by God to have control over. The remote control. You got it exactly. I am the one. David thinks he's the one. He's not. I am the one. I am totally in charge. I get to view the one I want to watch when I want to watch. I get to record what I want to record when I want to record it. All these things. I have control because God gave me control. Amen. I heard that. It's a good thing, reminding ourselves of what's going on. Okay, so but all fun, fun aside. Okay, we want to talk about uh, these issues of control of our life. There's usually two primary areas: either people or circumstances. We try to control people, or we try to control circumstances. Uh, you know, it's the old "you love people and you have a wonderful plan for their life, and you're going to bring it about." Uh, it may be your coworkers, maybe your children, it may be your Children who have grandchildren. So I have, I have Chris and Danielle who periodically I need to tell them exactly how they should be raising their kids. And they laugh and go on about whatever they were doing. <laughs> and we, we actually we don't have that issue. I don't try to control uh, them whatsoever. Isn't that right, Chris? We don't, right? Not a bit, not a bit. Okay, good. Whew, that worked out. But that's a struggle at times because you will say, well, they're not doing it like I think they should do it. I want to get back in control. And so you have to ask yourself, is this something that God has asked me to be involved in controlling? We'll talk more about that in a minute. Okay? We tend to want to be in control in these different areas. Or as a famous movie put it out, and I loved it, I, your ego is writing checks that you can't cash. Okay? Your ego is writing checks that you can't cash. And that happens on a regular basis. And we struggle with issues. And then there's circumstances. We want to look good. We want our houses to look good. We want our kids to represent us in a perfect, wonderful way. So we can look at them and say, you raised such wonderful kids. I'm going, you're right. It's all my doing. I truly am my spiritual parent. God has used me in, in incredible ways. We want to control schedules in the future. Uh, all the people we love want to lay it out. Now I, we have all our iPhones. Everything can be broken down into a list and the structure and the time. And uh, we're doing this. And why do we want to do this? Why do we want to do this? Uh, because our ego is out of control. It's as simple as that and as difficult as that. Our ego is out of control. And when we allow our ego to go into control, we end God's ownership in our life. 
we end God's own. We shut him down. We say, you're not going to have any direction over this area. My ego is going to make the determination here. In fact, there's a special verse for people that have this problem. It's found in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. And you look in your, in your thing here, and it goes something like this. Okay, trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Some of you know this verse better than I thought. And lean only on your own understanding. It's starting to work. In all your ways, acknowledge me. Eh? And the result of that is, I will make your path straight. Now, the real verse is like this. Read it together with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Ah, interesting. So the directive of scriptures talks to us about the necessity and the recognition that we don't know all that much. We're not aware of all that much. We're not all that able. And God desires to give direction and guidance to us if we will allow ourselves to be put under his control, under his direction. Because the reality is this. The more we try to control something, the more we fear losing control. And the more we fear losing control, the more we try to keep control. And then we find ourselves totally out of control. It's a common cycle. It happens to all of you, and it never, ever doesn't happen. You're all thinking, this time I'll be able to keep control. And you are wrong. You're wrong. You will not be able to. It will not take place. God desires to take and give you control in specific areas. But he will direct to you what you need to control and what he needs to control. Now, some of you are thinking, I sure hope that my, and you can fill in the blank, is listening to this message right now. Hey, I know you're thinking that. Some of you are thinking he needs to be listening carefully. You're getting in little nudges. Hey, listen to what pastor's saying here. Because the truth is control is very difficult to see. It's hard to see it. When I'm doing it, I usually don't know I'm doing it. I don't. I'm like, I, I, I like to think I'm not. And that's the struggle with control. So oftentimes you have to have a spouse or somebody that's close to you to remind you. You are trying to control this, and it's not your area of control. You are ending God's ownership right now. Your ego is writing checks. What? You can't cash. Yeah? Yeah. Can't cash. Can't cash those checks. Sorry. Stop writing the checks. And that's the cry and the directive of God. So what I want to do today is we're going to look at a simple story of one of early Jewish fathers by name of Abram and Sarai, Abram and Sarai, then take a look at their story and find out what took place when they chose not to allow God to have ownership in their life and what took place when he does take ownership in their lives. And then we're going to look at three simple questions that will help you immensely to determine whether or not you're letting ego take over or whether you're allowing God to take over in your life. Okay, the story. You see the scripture here? It's found in the book of Genesis. The first story I'm just going to mention to her. Abram and Sarai, who later are called Abraham and Sarah, as their name is changed at a later day. But right now, Abram and Sarai are in a particular situation in which Abram finds himself surrounded by a group of very large male guys who are in very strong positions and who have very strong egos 
and who are looking at his wife and saying, she is truly a beautiful woman. If she didn't have a husband, or if she does, we can take him out and then we can marry her. And so he begins to respond to them and he says out of fear, you know, I, I, I don't believe God's going to protect me here. So he starts telling them that Sarah is his what? Anybody remember the story? Sister, exactly. This is my sister. Because he's frightened to tell them that he's the husband, they're going to kill him. And they begin to gather her in, they begin to woo her and talk to her, and they find out, oops, she is not his sister, she is his wife. And they chide him about that and say, you shouldn't have been afraid, and we wouldn't have done these things, and God is with you, etc., etc. The result in this case wasn't so bad. Okay, I want you to catch it. It wasn't such a bad result here. And I believe what was going on was Satan was setting up Abraham and Sarah for something far bigger that he was going to do next. So they found themselves doing this. Abraham says, wow, I got out of that pretty well. I came out pretty good with the whole thing. I don't look great, but I got more things, more stuff. I walked away. I was able to establish myself. Perhaps taking control in certain situations is okay. How many of you tend to think that way? Yeah. And the rest of you are liars. That's okay. You'll you'll finally come to an understanding of what you're doing later on. By the time we're at the end of this message, you'll know it. So he finds himself going, oh, that wasn't so bad. He continues to establish himself. But there's a problem with Abraham and Sarah, and that is that they are a childless couple. They've never, ever been able to have children. And they're getting older, and God gives him this wonderful, glorious promise. And the promise is this, you're going to have a son. In fact, not only that, but from this son is going to be brought forth a lineage that will be so huge in terms of numbers, it will be like sand on the seashore. You're going to have hundreds of thousands, no, millions of millions of children that will be brought forth from your line, specifically this one son that I'm going to have born to your wife. And Abraham goes, that is so wonderful. Thank you so much, God. I appreciate your promise. And he walks away. And as years go by, and it is years, years go by, he and Sarah begin to say, maybe we misunderstood God. Maybe we didn't get exactly what he said. Perhaps what he meant was that we need to take control of this particular thing. So it tells us in the scripture that Sarah, well, I'm going to read it with you. Now, Sarah... Abram's wife, had bore him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. So go and sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps, if you got that, you could circle that or underline it. Perhaps, that's the question. That's that my ego is coming into play here. I can build a family through her. In other words, I know God promised this, but he's not doing it in my timing. So I'm going to take control because I know what's best. I'm going to end God's ownership. I'm going to take control. I'm going to end God's ownership. I'm going to take control. So Abram agreed to what Sarah had said. And after Abram had been living in Canaan two years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian servant, Hagar, gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Now, I want you to get this. When they ended God's ownership, it's impossible to describe the chaos 
not just in their lives, but in centuries and centuries to come. Let me give you a quick picture. Hagar gave birth to a son named Ishmael. And Ishmael, you know, starts to have conflict because later what's going to happen is Sarah is going to have a child. His name is Isaac, the son of the promise. And the conflict begins to happen between Ishmael and Isaac and the mother and the father because who's in charge here? Who has control here? How is this supposed to work? The conflict escalates to the point where Ishmael is kicked out of the home and pushed away. And you think, well, maybe that ended it. No. The result of that, the descendants of Ishmael are the Palestinians. The descendants of Ishmael are the Palestinians. And more specifically, a person by the name of Muhammad, who would be the instrument that would be used to gather together a group of people in a religious position that we now know as Muslim. All this took place because these people chose to end God's ownership. They said, I think we know what we should do here when we shouldn't have been doing anything. And some of you are saying, oh, Pastor Lee, I I know. But there are no maidservants here. There's no Hagar. There's none of that stuff going on. This doesn't apply to me. Well, let me see if I can apply it a little bit to you in terms of your life. So you're a single gal, and you're going, I really want to get married, and I don't, I, just, I don't know any Christian guys, and the ones I do know, they're really not very good looking. They don't really seem to have their act all that together. So I've got this really cute guy, and I like him a lot, and I think I can change him. And you know where it's going, don't you? Boy, I've been in ministry now some uh, almost 40 years, and it's just been oh, so sad to see what happens with these young, beautiful, single women who get involved with these guys, and they bring destruction into their life because they've decided that God doesn't know what he's doing, and he won't provide for them, so they take things into their own hands, and they end God's ownership. Because what they're really saying is, God, I don't believe you're going to take care of this, so therefore I'm going to step in. And I'm going to make it happen. And they do it in the name of, well, I'm going to bring them to the Lord. I'm going to, you know. That is not God's directive. You're ending God's ownership. Same thing with some of you guys. Well, I know a lot of Christian girls, but they're all kind of plain. They don't really send thrills up and down my spine. I'm not excited when I look at them. You know, I know they have their act together, but I really like this girl over here. And on and on it goes. And the result of that ego is destruction in their life. Some of you have finances. You say, I'm a strong follower of Jesus, and I recognize that God has set aside the tithe that we're supposed to be giving. I recognize that God wants me to have manager ownership of my finances, that when I, when I become a manager of these finances, use them correctly and follow the directives laid out, that life works out well. But right now, I just don't want to. I don't want to do that. I'm going to do it my way, and I think it'll turn out all right. And you end God's ownership. And the results will be what you will see because it's always the same. I call it the Palestinian crisis. That's what happens. Suddenly, all these horrible, terrible things jump up around you and bring destruction into your life. 
So here's the big application question I want to ask you. I want you to ask yourself, I want you to be honest about this, and write down this answer to your question. And here's the question. I want you to write this down. I know some of you are thinking, I'm not going to do it. You need to do it. Everybody, if there's pencil and paper, write this down. Okay, simple. What area or areas are you trying to control? Okay, what area or areas are you trying to control? What are areas that are outside of your jurisdiction that you're trying to control? Children, grandchildren, coworkers. I don't know what it is, but there's something that, what are you trying to control? As you identify this, think about it. We'll give you a few minutes. We're going to watch this simple little clip. It talks about being still and allowing God to take control. Until we learn to be still in those situations where we want to edge God out, we want to end God's ownership, we will continue to struggle with anxiety and fear and all those things that bring destruction to our life. I don't care whether you're a pastor, whether you own a company, or whether you work for the government. Well, maybe if you work for the government, it's more anxiety than others, but you're getting the idea. It doesn't matter. You must learn the areas that God expects you to give him ownership of. So how do you determine that? Well, I'm going to give you three simple questions that you can be able to write down that will help you immensely in this area, help me greatly, so that when I find myself wondering, okay, Lord, is this an area that you want to have control? I walk through these three simple questions. And the first one's the easiest. Is it worth the cost? Is it worth the cost? Simple story. Jesus is at Martha and Mary's home. He's shown up to share with them in some special ways. And as he gets there, Martha comes up to him and demands that he set aside Mary to help her clean up the mess that's taken place with all you guys eating. Let Mary out of here. She should have been inside helping me in the kitchen. She's lazy. She's not doing anything. The house is a mess. We need to take care of business. After all, Jesus, you know that the Bible says cleanliness is next to godliness. It does not say that, by the way, those of you that didn't get that. It does not say that. We just think it does because our mom told us that to get us to make up our bed. That's why it was happening, okay? It wasn't true. Jesus turns, he looks at Martha, and he says, Luke chapter 10, verse 41 and 42, Martha, Martha, you're worried, you're upset about many things, but only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. In other words, sit down and shut up. Okay? That's Lee's version. Sit down, shut up, listen to what I have to say. I'm here for a short period of time. It doesn't matter if the dishes get cleaned later. It doesn't matter if the floor is still dirty. That doesn't matter. It's not worth the cost. The price for you to do that is too high. Sit down. Listen. I am God in human form here to share with you, and you're cleaning the dishes. 
That'd be like the president of the United States showing up and you're saying, you know, go ahead and have a seat. I got to do the dishes. I'll be back in a few minutes. You wouldn't do that, even though you may not like him. You may like him. I don't know. But the point is, you would be there, Johnny on the spot. You would not leave to do anything. Jesus is saying, is it really worth the cost? We get caught up in our inflated egos. We're trying to control things that really don't matter all that much. So instead, don't sweat the little things, and they're all little things. They don't matter that much. Does it really matter if someone doesn't make the bed perfectly? No, it doesn't. Does it really matter, Mom, if your daughter or your son has their hair combed correctly before they head off to school? The answer to that is what? No, it really doesn't. So is it yes? No, it really... It will not affect their chances of getting into Harvard a few years later. It's not going to happen. And it's not going to cause them to not be cute enough to find their future mate who they'll see at fifth grade and go, oh, because of the way they look, their hair is perfect. And That's not going to happen. Is it really worth the cost? Does it really matter? So say this. Is it worth the cost? Say it with me. Is it worth the cost? That's the first question you ask in situations. Is this really worth the cost? Figure it out. What's it going to cause you? Is it worth getting upset over? Is it worth fighting over? When you catch yourself trying to control somebody or something, ask yourself firstly, is this really worth the cost? Now the second question. Is it under my control? Is it under my control? And the answer is sometimes yes, it is. It's under your control. Absolutely. God has something specific that you need to be involved in, that you need to be doing. You see, surrendering control does not mean we relinquish responsibility. Surrendering control does not mean I relinquish responsibility. Those are completely different things. You need to be responsible when you can. So if you have a financial mismanagement problem, your finances have you by the throat, can you do something about it? Absolutely you can one, and I've done this, let me see your credit cards. And I will cut them in half and throw them in the trash can. You'll go, oh, no. But what you're really thinking is, I can get another set, no problem. But the idea is there. Cut them up. Toss them in the trash can. Begin to put together a budget. A budget. No, not the dreaded budget. Yes, a budget. Get a mentor. In fact, I've literally gone this far where we have your check goes into their bank. And they write the checks for you to take care of everything. And they give you an allowance for you to spend. Until you are willing to take appropriate control. Now, the good thing about that, and I have done that with somebody, was that person recognized their inability. And they said, I just... I." I can't do it. I need this to be taken over. And they had it taken over for almost a year before they were finally able to get back in track and begin to yield to God's ownership and their finances. Your marriage is struggling. Can you do something about it? Absolutely. I could have the T-Zones over here as we talked and shared with him, watch what God did, some remarkable things. I could have couple after couple. I have the Cox. I, couple after couple to come in and God has turned around their marriage and turned it into something remarkable because they started praying together. 
They joined a small group they could interact with. They had other people speak into their marriage and help them to understand what they needed to do and what they didn't need to do. They initiated counseling. They began to do things that God said, you need to do these things. They started having date nights. You can do something about this. What is it that I'm supposed to do? Is it under my control? If you're a guy, you haven't been on a date in seven years, do you trust God with it? Yes, of course you do. And you take a shower. That's the first thing. (laughs) Take a shower. Get cleaned up. Brush your teeth. Put on something other than that old raggedy wife beater t-shirt. Ask somebody out. Discover who God has for you. It can happen. Bob's engaged. Got home, didn't I, buddy? Yeah. Here it is, baby. Whoa. It's sweet. You know why, though? Because he did something about it. I got to do something about this. I don't want to stay this way. God, show me what to do about it. But there are some things that are not under your control. They're not, and they never will be. So you say, is it under my control? And some things the answer is no. Say that with me. No. It's not under your control. As much as you want it to be, it's not under your control. James, put it this way, chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Now listen. If my mom said that, I know I was in trouble. Now listen. Shut up for a minute. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on with business, and make big bucks. The Bible says you think you can iron everything out. You can plan it all out. You know exactly what's going to happen. He says, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. You don't even control tomorrow. How do you think you can control something that's going to take place a year from now? You can not. So you asked, is it worth the cost? Is it under my control? And the last one, is it under God's control? Is it under God's control? Control. Is it outside of my jurisdiction? So Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7 puts it this way. Don't be anxious about what? What you are trying to control. Anxious when you're trying to control something that's not yours to control. Don't. Instead, he says, in everything, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, what do you do? You present your requests to God. Say that with me. Present your requests to God. One more time. Present your requests to God. So you recognize, this is not under my control. Lord, I can't control this. My house is in escrow. Jeremiah helped us out. We got us a place here. He turned to us and said, but it's not done yet. It's not done yet. When they hand us the check, then it's done. You know why he says that? Because he knows that it's not under what? His control. It's not. He says, sorry, that's out of my jurisdiction, Lee. That's got to be God's thing. We did everything we can do, and I'm pretty sure, but I'll be happy when it's all done. Because he can't be happy. We can be happy. He can't be happy. He has to. Okay? Finding a place to live. Can I find? There's things I can do to help find a place to live. Okay? But there's some things I can't. There's areas that are not under my control. So I tell Jeremiah, it's in your control, Jeremiah. I'm teasing. No, I just say, help me out a little bit. We all help each other out. We find out, what does God want? How does he want to handle this situation in your life? He desires to direct it, but you must allow him to, re- to direct it. So with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, you give it to God, and what begins to happen? What begins to happen? 
The peace of God, which transcends all of our understanding. I don't know why. I don't know why I have peace. You know, I got this cancer thing. I got this thing. Why are you so... I, I don't know. I'm just... I'm not uncomfortable. I gave it to God and I don't want it back. The peace of God is transcends all your understanding will guard. It's interesting. Use the term guard. It's literally set up a guard around your heart and your mind. Nope. You're not allowed in there. You're not allowed in there. Nobody else is allowed in here. We're guarding the spot. Your heart and your mind that continues to be in Christ Jesus. So because of our ego, we're trying to control. We've refused to send her to God. It's outside of our jurisdiction. And we have no what? Peace. You have no peace. And you say, I'm just so anxious. You never tell your pastor you're so anxious. He always goes to Philippians 4 and says, be anxious for nothing. You go, but I'm still anxious. I said, I know. Let's pray about it. We get done praying. You say, I'm still anxious. I said, I know. Why am I still anxious? I said, do you really want me to answer that? Yeah. Okay. You haven't given it to God. You haven't given it over. You're back in that control version of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That's what's happened to you. So instead of giving everything to God, you're saying, well, we want to give him some of it. You do what you're supposed to do, then you allow it here, okay? It's outside of my job. I'm, I'm writing checks that my ego can't cash. That's why I'm anxious, because I know that they're going to bounce. I know it. A couple simple questions. Okay, first one, application for what we've been talking about here. Can I change my spouse? It's not a quick question. It's not a trick question. Okay, can I change my spouse? No. No. You cannot change your spouse. You can love your spouse. You can pray for your spouse. You can encourage your spouse. You can manipulate. No, no, no. You can encourage your spouse. But you can't change your spouse. Him or her, you cannot do it. It will not happen as much as you want to. If your spouse needs changing, you love them, you pray for them, and what do you do? Trust them to God. You trust them to God. You lay them before God and say, God, I can't. This is outside of my jurisdiction. I give them to you. And I don't know what needs to be done. I'm at a loss. I give up. And God says, it's okay. I'm good at this. I did it to you. I go, I know. I'm just not sure you can do it to them. Get off your ego bus. Trust, yield. Can you heal your loved one when they're sick? No. If there's anybody here who said yes, please come forward at the end of the service. I have some people that we want you to lay hands on. No. Now, can they come down? We can pray for them. God heals them. Absolutely. We'll see God doing that, but he is the one who does healing. Nobody else. You entrust them to God, and then the result in your heart, when you entrust them to God, is you have what? Peace. You do, and it's like, I don't understand it, but I have peace. I don't even want to tell anybody about it because I feel guilty. I feel guilty. I have peace. I'm not supposed to have peace. My wife is sick. Yeah, it's a Jewish thing. I don't know. I don't know. It's like, ah, it's a Catholic thing. I don't, I don't know what it is, but it's like, I, I, I feel bad that I have peace, but I pray, I give it to God, and I, I, think it, I think God's got it in control. And I have peace. And that's good. 
Can you control your future or the future of your children or the future of anyone that you love? No. Oh, I wish we could. Oh, I wish we... Because I have a wonderful plan for their life. Boy, do I. And God says, yeah, but Lee, it's not mine. And all you've got is ego. It's trying to cash checks. And you got nothing in the bank. Think for a minute about Abraham. The next story about him is very interesting. God gives him the thing he wanted most in life. And that was what? A son. And God said, I'm going to carry through his lineage. Millions of people, the entire Jewish nation will be brought forth through this wonderful son. And he begins to raise this son after he's born. And he is his everything. He loves this son more than anything that ever existed. He can't imagine how much he loves his son. And God comes to him and speaks to him and says, Abraham, I need you to give me your son. And Abraham, sure, Lord, I, I give my son to you, no problem. No, 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 you don't understand. I need you to sacrifice your son to me. And Abraham is thinking, is this a trick question? But it's not. And so, as they'd done many times before, him and his son went for a walk, carrying a load of wood. His son's carrying stuff, and he's carrying stuff, and he's got the knife in his pocket. And they go for a walk, and they head up to Mount Moriah to, to do the sacrifice. And as they go along there, his son's turn to him and says, Dad? Yes, son? Where's the sacrifice? And these are the words he gives. The Lord will provide. And as they go down a little farther, Isaac turns him again and said, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And Isaac, Abraham responds, the Lord will provide. He brings him up to the stone altar. He lays the wood on the altar as slowly as he possibly can, going, oh, God, please, please. He binds his son, and he lays him on the altar. And as his eyes look at him, he raises the knife up. And as he raises the knife up, the angel of God speaks to him and says, stop. The sacrifice is just to your right, it's a ram hung up in the thicket. I know you would do what I asked you to do, and that's all that is necessary. And the peace that passes all understanding covered Abraham. And he laid out a big breath, and he gave the sacrifice to God. And from that point on, the Jewish people were established as people of the promise the promise that was not built on an ego, but was built on a recognition of God's ownership. And they called that place, the Lord will provide. And he gave a new name for God. And the name is this, Jehovah Jireh. You say that with me? Jehovah Jireh. And it simply means God will provide. 
Whenever you find yourself in this situation, you've walked through these questions, you've recognized it's God's ownership, you need to close with a simple thing before God. Just say, Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Whatever it is, whatever situation you find yourself in, the Lord will provide. Lord, it's outside of my jurisdiction. He says, I know it is, and I will provide. Stop writing checks that your ego cannot cash. The Lord will provide. All right? Let's pray. Father, there's a lot of people here right now that are struggling because they desperately want to give things over to you, and they are afraid. They have recognized that we've talked today, boy, as I recognize, and I see it regularly in my life, that they have taken on areas of ownership that were not theirs to take on. That they are bringing destruction in their life and life of others because of a fear of yielding to you and surrendering to your direction. And I ask today, right now, Lord, that you will give them the ability to lay it aside. They right now will put their ego on the altar. We see it laden there, Lord. And we want to sacrifice it to you and say, Father, from this day forth, from this day forth, I will ask these questions honestly and I'll seek to yield to your ownership. That's your prayer. Say that. You don't need to say it out loud. Just say it to yourself. Lord, from this day forward, I'm going to ask these three questions. And as I get the answer, I'm going to honestly yield to you. I make you Lord of my life because that's what it means. Lord, right now, I make you Lord of my life. Everybody that wants you, say this. I make you Lord of my life. I make you Lord of my life. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Today, we come to you, yielding to you. We recognize we're sinners. Boy, we admit it. And we desperately need forgiveness of our sins. And you're the only one. We believe it. We believe that you are the only one who can cleanse us from sin, who can forgive us our sins, who can take away that penalty. And we confess that truth to you, and we say, Lord, be Lord of my life. Be Savior, but be Lord. Take over. Take my ego. I asked it. Do what I can't do. I asked it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.